our hearts, that we wouldn't just see uh, the actions of the cross, the things that you went through, but that God may be more important for us is that we would understand your heart in a better way, your love for us, and not just collectively as a group, but individually as people, to be able to say that there's nothing that can separate me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, and the cross is the proof. And so as we look at it, open our eyes to see that truth and to appreciate it afresh. This day we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in John chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. And it says, And now he loved them even to the very end. Nothing, not even the cross, could diminish the love of God that he had, not only for his disciples then, but for you and me now. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 says, For God showed how much he loved us by sending his his one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. It says, this is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his Son as a sacrifice to take away our sin. Aren't you glad? Jesus came to die to die for my sin, to die for your sin. So when I look at the cross, you know, there there's seven statements. Most of you have studied these. I, I want to just run through them as quick as I can. Like I said, I, I've, I've, I'll overstudy and underdeliver what I can possibly give you in 30 minutes. But I hope it, it does something in your heart that draws you to, to study this for yourself, you know, this week. And I have the privilege, you know, as a pastor, you know, I, I get to study this by virtue of the fact that, you know, I'm going to be giving a message on a good Friday and then come into Easter morning and do a sunrise service that takes me back to the very moment that, you know, how it might have been 2,000 years ago, and then to come back at 10 a.m. on Easter and celebrate what it was like, you know, after Jesus, you know, came from the tomb. And it's just, you know, that thing of it, you know, you just keep going, wow, this story doesn't get old. It just gets better as it gets deeper. Amen. And, and so I look at this, the first statement from the cross, you see there in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, it says, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And so you look at the very first words from Jesus from the cross, and it shows us his heart, and not just his mission. He's saying they don't know what they are doing. You know, so I can say this honestly, Jesus was what? He was practicing what he was preaching. You know, you think about during the time of, of Jesus, you know, reign on earth here as King of Kings and Lord of Lords in his first coming. There was a king, you know, there reigning Tiberius by the name, uh, or excuse me, uh, the Roman Empire by the name of Tiberius Caesar. And, and the, the Romans at that time, they worshipped, you know, the, the Greek goddess uh, Nemesis. And it was the goddess of, of uh, revenge and, and retribution. And you think, you know, this was commonplace. You know, we see eye for an eye. Most people that aren't even believers know that, right? They go eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And yet Jesus, he is the antithesis of that. He's the very opposite. Instead of seeking revenge, he comes, God himself comes. This is what makes Jesus so unique. Instead of seeking revenge, he seeks forgiveness. His desire isn't that we would be separated from him, but that we'd be reunited to him. And so he prays, Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And one of the things that I love about this, and I, I don't want to miss this, you know, what turns this this moment, you know, what could be a tragedy into triumph for Jesus is you think about how he prays. There's three specific prayers that he prays from the cross there, and he prays Father. And I just want to encourage you, you know, when you and when I, when we pray Father, that it opens a door from heaven to us 
to receive God's power and his grace in our time of need. We can't miss that as we, we study through this, because I can tell you this, you know, we need help when we're suffering. It's not easy to suffer. I think most of us would agree. Pain hurts, and a, and a broken heart definitely hurts more than a broken arm. But when we pray, Father, and we look up to heaven, you know, God, God provides for us something that should give us, like I said, full, full assurance of heart, knowing that God is listening and that God is there and that God cares. We see that from the cross. Luke 23, 32 goes on and it says this, it says, two others, both criminals were led out to be executed with him. And when they came to the place of the skull, they nailed him, speaking of Jesus, to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. And I, I always noticed, you know, the thing about this being personal is thank God that Jesus wasn't, wasn't on the end and there was only one of those criminals who was next to him. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. But the fact that he's in the middle, it demonstrates that God isn't willing that any would perish. Can you imagine Jesus being so far away and, and you having to listen through someone else? You know, but here's Jesus in the midst of them. They both could see, you know, was nailed over his head. They could both hear what he was saying. One responds, you know, in the positive, one doesn't. But it does demonstrate to us the care of God, the concern of God. You know, the, the intricacy of how God works in this life. You think about your own salvation today and where you were and how God spoke to you. It's unique for every single person, but what it communicates very loudly and very clearly is God loves us and God cares. And, and I hope that that speaks to you as you study through this. And yet, who is Jesus praying for? Father, forgive them. Is he praying for the Roman soldiers? Is he praying for the Jewish Sanhedrin? Is he praying for those that are just merely standing there? Is he praying for his disciples who have forsaken him and turned and walked away? I, I, would, I, would, I would say that he's, he's praying that for all of them. But have you ever thought when he prays that, he's praying also for me and for you? Because he is. He's the God of eternity. And to think of what he would go through to suffer for the sins of the world. You know, you think of the billions of people who lived upon this earth, and Jesus bore every one of our sin in his own body. That is love. That is love. I was in studying this past week. I, I read a recent survey. It was taken by the nonprofit uh, Fetzer Institute, and it was reported that 62% of American adults say they need more forgiveness in their personal lives. What a confession. See, most people recognize their need for forgiveness, but they just don't know where to find it or how to experience it for themselves, and that's their struggle. Thank God for the gospel. Amen. Thank God for the cross that we can see and we can learn, we can hear. Because it's really true, you know, before we can ever offer forgiveness to others, we must first receive forgiveness. So I can't give you what I don't have. Amen. And that's the beauty of the cross. We can get what we need today. I always love that Max Licato uh, Christmas card that says, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. Had our greatest need been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, then God would have sent us an economist. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, God sent us a Savior. So true. That's what it's all about. So the very first words that Jesus speaks from the cross here are that of forgiveness. And you think about what was closest to his heart. Because you think about that moment, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I've done many studies on, taught from this pulpit, you know, what do you do when your cup gets bumped, Right. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the Bible says what? The mouth speaks. And if there was you know, a time in, in life where Jesus' cup was being bumped, it was here at the cross. And yet, what does it demonstrate from the very core of his being? You know, 
as, as they, as they nailed him to that cross and dropped that cross into the ground, his very first words and what an impact that it would have, not only upon the thief upon the cross, but also the Roman centurion who, like I've shared many times before, who stood there at the foot of the cross and listened intently to what Jesus said and was able to compare that to the hundreds, if not thousands of crucifixions that he had participated in before. And something was distinct about Jesus. Instead of, you know, reviling against those who spoke against him, instead of wanting revenge upon his enemies, what do you have Jesus doing from the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And what that shows is a heart of love, and it's a heart of compassion, not just for them, but for me and for you. Something to, you know, that's it's really what puts the good in Good Friday, amen, on a personal basis. You know, because it was Jesus who said, it's not what goes into the man that defiles him, it's what come out, comes out of the man that defiles him. And so you look at, you know, like I said, stress has a, a, a very, very uh, revealing way um, of bringing out those things that are deep with inside of our heart, whether we want them to come out or not. I don't know if you've ever injured yourself. And my wife the other day, just, uh, she was moving a, a plant outside and she hit her shin and she took off about three inches of skin on, on the front of her shin. And she had, and I asked her, she had a big old bandage on it. And I said, what did you say? Oh, and praise God, I can tell you this. She's, I said, did you say something bad? And she goes, no. I didn't. It just demonstrates, you know, her pure heart. Now, me, on the other hand, I, I'm just glad that didn't happen to you. But I love that. I, and I ask people that, you know, hey, what happened in that moment? You know, and, and oftentimes, if we're honest about it, we fail in those moments. But that comes out, you know, it's like that I didn't necessarily want it to come out, but it comes out. And that's why I love looking at Jesus, because Jesus is so, so much better than you and I. Amen. He's perfect from the inside out. Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. And yet I look at Jesus from the cross, you know, he fulfills God's word. And that's one of the things we talk about it. He, he doesn't just walk the walk, but he talks the talk. Everything that Jesus does is connected to the word of God. And what makes that so sad, as I was sharing last Sunday, is the Jews missed it. Those who had the word of God should have been, you know, looking at scripture, seeing he is the promised Messiah. He is the one because he's fulfilling what? The very word of God. Isaiah, you know, chapter 53, verse 12 says, I will give him the honors of the victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted amongst the rebels. He bore the sins of many and he interceded for rebels. So true. The whole meaning of the cross is summed up in Jesus' statement there in John three seventeen. He said, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. You know, don't let anybody tell you that, you know, Jesus came to judge you. He did not come to judge you. He came to save you. My hope, my prayer today is that you are. The good news is that if you're not, you can be. The message is still clear that if we would profess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, the same way that that thief next to Jesus on the cross to save, we can be saved too. That's the hope. That's the message of the cross there. I mean, Jesus himself, he was on a a mission of mercy, a mission of redemption here, you know, and he says, you know, they do not know what they are doing. And, and it's not to say that they weren't aware of what they were doing because they were, they practiced. We know, you know, uh, crucifixion was something they got down to an art form. 
I mean, they, they knew, you know, to scourge you, not 40, you know, stripes because that would kill you, but 39 to take you up to the point of death, but not quite there. So this wasn't, Jesus isn't saying they just didn't know what they were doing. They just didn't know the ramifications of it. It's the same thing in our life too. The Bible says sin is pleasurable for a moment, but it says the wages of sin is death, right? We, we just don't recognize, you know, the, what the end result of it is. We think, oh, this won't hurt me. How many people who have ever died, you know, their thought process going into what thing was that took their life would say, you know, oh, I didn't, I, I didn't think that that, you know, that would be the outcome when everybody else looking at it went, man, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And Jesus here is making that cry. Uh, what they were doing was calculated. They just did not understand the enormity and the eternal, you know, calculations that would come with what they were trying to accomplish that day. Because as they finished, they just went on about their business thinking, and the Jews especially thought they were doing God a favor in putting Jesus to death, how wrong they were. But I love the fact that, you know, when I think about God's word, the apostle Paul said it best, probably in 1 Corinthians 2.8, he says, but the rulers of this world have not understood it. They didn't understand what they were doing. It says, for if they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. They missed it. My hope and my prayer this Good Friday is that you and I, that we don't miss it. Jesus said in John 7, 17, he said, anyone who wants to do his will, the will of God, will know whether my teaching is from God or is merely my own. And again, Jesus is going, you, you want to know, you go, you might be here today going, I, I don't really understand everything about the cross, or I don't understand everything about Jesus. The, the, the good news is, get into the Word. The Word of God is what will bring the clarity to your heart and to your mind. Again, they were ignorant of their own actions. They didn't know, like I said, what they were doing was actually fulfilling the Old Testament scriptures. Again, you think about this, they, they parted his garments and they cast lots for them that we read in Luke 23, 34. That fulfilled Psalm 22, 18. They gave him vinegar to drink in Luke 23, 36, and that fulfilled Psalm 69, 21. He was crucified between two transgressors, Luke 23, 33, and that fulfilled Isaiah 53, 12. All you need to do is read the Word of God. Everything will point to Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. And so Jesus prays. He prays, you know, for forgiveness. And, and the beauty of it is, you know, when Jesus prays and the power of prayer, and you look at this, I mean, immediately that prayer begins to be answered. And we might ask ourselves, how is that prayer answered? Well, think about it. First, the thief on the cross right next to him, right? Jesus is praying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It wasn't, as I shared with you, it was answered again not long after that when the Roman centurion at the foot of the cross that surely this is the Son of God, and he believes. Not long after that, you know, Jesus prays, you know, and you think about what takes place, uh, you know, at the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people come to salvation. They believe this Jesus whom you crucified is both Savior and Lord. And they said, what must we do to be saved? And he said, repent, be baptized, believe in the name of Jesus Christ. And it says, and the Lord added to the church, 3,000 souls that day. Those prayers were beginning to be answered immediately. And guess what? God can still answer it today. Maybe you're here and you have not yet received Christ as Savior and Lord. You know, I'm just reminded, you know, again, Romans 10, 11 through 13, it says, as the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentiles are the same in this respect. 
They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call upon him. For everyone who what? Calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the good news of the gospel. Amen. The second statement that we see from the cross, you know, this is really the million dollar question. You know, we're all dying or will die one day to know. It says in Luke 23, 43, it says, and Jesus replied, I assure you, today you'll be with me in paradise. You know, what do we learn about that? I don't want you to miss this. You know, from this statement on the cross, we can learn that salvation is personal. What did Jesus say? He said, I assure who? You. It's personal. The second thing that we can see that it's present. When did Jesus say the salvation was coming one day? No, he says today. And that throws so many people off. You listen to the arguments today. I can only tell you what Jesus said. He didn't say, you know, that'll be in three days from now. He didn't say that'll be, you know, at the second coming or even at the rapture. He said to the thief on the cross, what did he say? Today, you'll be with me. I like that better, don't you? You know, to be absent from the body, Paul writes, what? Is to be present with the Lord. People want you know, it's like, I, I love that. It's personal, it's present, and it's glorious. What do I mean by glorious? He says, today you'll be with me where? In paradise, you know, far from Bakersfield, amen? As much as this is home, Paul would write to the church at, at Corinth. He says, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it even entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Amen. Wow. It's personal, it's present, and it's glorious. What a reminder, you know, from the cross today. And, and I hope that, like I said, you, you take that, you know, to heart. Um, I'm going to skip over this for time's sake, but I'll encourage you, if you're a note taker, you can get the notes for this and go back and, and look at this. You know, and you think about the, this thief on the cross in verse 42, he says, and then he says to Jesus, he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom, right? And like I said, Jesus looks at me, he goes, and I assure you today you'll be with me in paradise. And yet we look at this, you know, and, and it, it's something that's it's so amazing, you know, to me personally, you know, Jesus is, is committed to us long before we were ever committed to him. It's not, as I shared with you, you know, as, as John would write, it's not that we love him, it's that he first loved us. Jesus came to save us. You, you in the sense, you, you can look at your life and you go, and sometimes we go, why am I here? You know, what's my purpose? And your purpose was to connect with God. He's the one who makes sense of the senseless. You know, you can be about your own thing. And, and it, it will, you know, Jesus said, again, we talked just in a moment here about when he talks about being thirsty, right? He, he demonstrates he's human, just like us. He has thirst that need to be satisfied. But Jesus said, but the, you drink this water, in the sense, this water that the world gives, he said, you're going to thirst again. He said, but he who drinks of the, of the water which I give, he says, he will never, ever thirst again. Jesus satisfies. There's something, you know, that, that will not make sense to any of us because as Colossians write that we were created by God. We were, again, he says he created everything. Everything was created by God for God and nothing exists that can exist apart from God. So if, you, if you're here today and you're not really sure about your life, young or old, doesn't make any difference. You go, what is my purpose? I mean, sometimes we, we've thought our purpose in life was our job, right? And then all of a sudden you're done with your job and then you go, and it's sad because it happens in this world. They say the average man, I don't want to bum anybody out if you're near retirement or there, the average male dies within seven years, within seven years of retiring. 
because men then lose in the sense their purpose for life. Well, I can tell you this, that you were not created to work. That wasn't your purpose. You were created by God and you were created for God to know him and to experience him and to share him. Wasn't that, again, the promise wasn't just to you, but it was a promise that would be in you that actually would pass through you and impact the world that is around you. Uh, the last thing you want to do, I mean, it's sad too. You think about this, people retire and then they die, right? And their whole life was about retiring. Now, our whole life needs to be Christ who is our life, amen? And that's not, that's not religious, that's relational. That's what Jesus came for. I mean, we're talking about eternity here. But there was no sinner that was more assured of his salvation than that thief on the cross. A thief who'd done what? He was a murderous thief, right? You wonder, oh, I wonder if God could save me. He goes, well, he didn't pick the guy at the top of the ladder here. He picked the guy who was at the lowest rung, the lowest of lows, right? And Jesus says to him, you know, he never was baptized, right? Never went to church, never tithed, never did any good work whatsoever. But what did he do? He believed in the finished work of Jesus Christ. He believed who Jesus said that he was. He put all his eggs in that basket, and he was satisfied. And I'll tell you, it, it's a beautiful picture of the depth that Jesus would go to to save us, to someone who is completely incapable of doing anything for him. That, that, that should help us today. Then you go, I wonder if I've done enough. I won't ask you that out loud, but I'll ask you to ask yourself within your own heart. Have you ever asked God that? God, have I done enough? Have I done enough to, to make it to heaven? And, and Jesus goes, just think of the thief on the cross. Have you done as much as he's done? Because that's all you can do. That is all you can do to be saved. Oh, you can do so much more after you're saved, but you can do nothing until you are saved. He couldn't merit it. It was a gift. All he could do is receive it. The third statement from the cross, you think about, here's Jesus. He's just focusing on other people. It just demonstrates his heart that Jesus didn't come for himself. He said, I did not come to what? To be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And again, we're talking about someone who has been beaten beyond recognition, Isaiah declares, that you wouldn't even have recognized Jesus. And yet he still has the wherewithal because it's his heart. It's not just something he was doing. Like we go, oh, I'm a Christian. I hope I would do the right thing, right? And sometimes we get things right and sometimes we don't because we're not God. But he was perfect in all of his ways. And what does he say from the cross? He says, woman, behold your son. John 19, 26, it says, when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, dear woman, here is your son. And again, and what does he go on to say? He says, and he said to his disciple in verse 27, here is your mother. And from then on, the disciple took her into his home. Here is your son. He wasn't just saying, hey, mom, you know, look at me. What, he's, what he was saying was, you know, Mary, I'm giving you a new son to care for you, to provide for you, to protect you. Jesus was delegating his responsibility. So obviously at that point, Joseph had passed away and Jesus being the oldest, Jesus had that responsibility. He was doing exactly what Scripture calls us to do. We think about the Ten Commandments to what? Honor thy mother and father. He didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it, and he fulfilled it perfectly, even in his death. When he should have just been, in the human sense, focusing on himself, at this point, what is he still doing? He's still 
being motivated by who he is. God just doesn't love. God is love. That's what John reminds us. It just oozes from him. It can't help it. And I think it's a great reminder, you know, as we look at this on Good Friday. Here's an interesting point. The longest will that was ever probated was made up of four huge volumes that contained some 95,940 words. That's a big one. The shortest on record that's ever been probated was in Great Britain, and it only had three words to it, and it said this, all for mother. Yeah. Now, for Mary, the cross was a place of reward. It was a reward for her, for her faithfulness, the life that she had lived towards her son. You know, some churches have that wrong. It didn't say that Mary would be more blessed, you know, above all women. It just said Mary would be blessed, what, amongst women, that she would be recognized as someone who was someone that had, had great privilege and great honor, but she was still saved the same way that you and I are saved. She still placed her hope and her trust in Jesus. And here at the cross, we see Jesus even rewarding her in her earthly life. The fourth statement from the cross that we see, you know, it's really, it's one of mystery and meaning. When Jesus, you know, there it says, he prays, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? You know, Matthew 27, 45 says, at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Elama Sabachthani, says, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? So the fourth statement from the cross, it's a fulfillment, again, of scripture. If the Jews were paying attention, they would have went, wait, we've heard that before. Where have we heard it? Psalm 22, 1. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? They saw the Messiah hanging there. They saw him suffering. They watched him die. And yet, you know, what does Jesus mean by this? In this very moment, you know, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I mean, to think in that very moment, you know, that he was taking your sin and my sin. I mean, just don't even worry about anybody else's life. Try to envision for a second your own life from the time you were born to just right now. How many sins have you committed? Can you even put a number, you know, to that? And then to take that and think of your own life and then multiply that out by the billions of people who's ever walked the face of this earth. It, it's beyond calculation, isn't it? And to think that he who knew no sin in that moment became sin for us. Warren Wiersbe in his commentary writes this, the men closest to Jesus forsook him, but at least the father was with him. And he sent me, is with me, Jesus said. The father has not left me alone from John 8, 29. Jesus told his disciples, indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, has come that he will be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the father is with me from John 1632. But at the cross, he writes, even the father left him. What a profound mystery, the loneliness of the savior on the cross. Why was he forsaken by the father? He goes on to write, there are many reasons, but certainly the greatest is that Jesus was made sin for us on the cross. God is too holy to look upon sin. Sin isolates us from ourselves and creates an emptiness within. Sin separates us from God and even from one another. When Adam and Eve sinned, they hid themselves from the Lord because they were guilty and afraid 
to face a holy God. Sinners have been running away ever since. God has never forsaken anyone but his son. What Jesus went through on the cross. There's a great quote. It says, what a paradox is the cross of Christ. He went through darkness that we might have light. He was forsaken that we might be accepted. He was misunderstood that we might know the truth and be set free. He died that we might live. You know, the fifth statement from the cross, Jesus said again, I thirst. John 19, 28, he said, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished and fulfilled scripture. And so he said, I am thirsty. I mean, he identifies, like I said, with my need, with your need. As he said, you know, he who drinks of this water will thirst again, but the water which he gives, he said, we will never thirst. He fulfilled God's word. He identified, you know, with all that, that was spoken in scripture about what would happen to the soul that sins. That was me and then you, and he willingly took our place. Psalm 69, 21, it says, and they offer me sour wine for my thirst. And so he fulfills God's word. He wanted to make sure you might say in that moment that his throat was clear for what he was going to say next. Because in the very next word, the sixth statement from the cross, he says, it is finished. John 19.30 says, and when Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. In the Greek language, is to telestai. Greg Laurie writes this in his commentary. He says, the cross was the goal of Jesus from the very beginning. His birth was so there would be his death. The incarnation was for our atonement. He was born to die so that we might live. And when he had accomplished the purpose he came to fulfill, he summed it up with a single word, finished. The great word of the gospel isn't do, is it? It's done. It's not what you and I can do. It's what God did for us in Jesus Christ. It is finished. And that's where our peace and that's where our joy comes in. Then you look at the, the final statement you know, that he makes. And it's really when I think about you know, our salvation being finished, being done, it's really what puts the, the good in Good Friday that God made him, as Paul would write, 2 Corinthians 5.21, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And again, just to be able to rest in that today, that work is now finished. And because it was finished, Jesus could make his last statement from the cross, the seventh statement that he would make. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Nothing was left to accomplish. So Jesus said, what, dad, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. Luke 23, 46 puts it like this as in Jesus shouted. It wasn't just a, hey, dad, it was like, it was a shout. It was done. It was complete. Everything. I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with these words, it says he breathed his last. Amazing love we see at the cross. What appeared to be the world's greatest tragedy turned out to be the greatest display of God's love for me and you. I love that billboard. You know, many of you have seen it years ago. Haven't seen it recently, but it said three nails plus one cross equals what? Forgiven. Three nails, one cross, forgiven. John 1.12 puts it like this, but to all who believed him and accepted him, 
he gave the right to become children of God and that we would know that today. That's what Good Friday is all about. So that we could know, when I end with this, what the Apostle Paul would write to us. We studied through this you know, in detail as we were going through Romans chapter 8. But what a wonderful reminder when we think about this on Good Friday, what Jesus would go through. And again, not just the act, but to demonstrate his heart, that you would know beyond a shadow of a doubt, it's not just what he did, but what motivated him was you. His love for you on a personal basis, like I, I share this often, you know, again, if you were the only person that ever walked the face of this earth, Jesus would have died for you. What a difference that would make in your life if you truly, truly believe that. I mean, you've heard it, but it's one thing to hear something. It's quite another thing to believe something. Amen. And yet maybe still yet another to receive it as your own. And my hope and my prayer today as we prepare our hearts to receive communion, invite the worship team to come up. Let me just read this text to you and we'll close in prayer. It says, what shall we say then about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything then ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity, or we are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. The cross, it's proof, it's our proof that we are accepted, that we are forgiven, and that we are loved by God. Amen. Father, we thank you, Lord, for an opportunity on this Good Friday, Lord, to come and to worship together to focus on the cross, to think about, Lord, all that you went through for us. May it never grow old. Lord, as I was reminded, you know, Charles Spurgeon, back in 1882, opened up a Good Friday message with these words, and whatever subjects I may be called to preach, I feel it to be a duty which I dare not neglect to be continually going back to the doctrine of the cross, the fundamental truth of justification by faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Lord, thank you for leading us to the cross today. It's where our hope is. It's where we can discover, Lord, your love for us, the price that you were willing to pay, and Lord, all that it provides for us, that it's personal, that it's present, and that it's glorious. 
God, be glorified in our lives. Thank you for Jesus today. As we celebrate communion and we take the bread together, or we break it in our own hands, reminding us, Lord, that you, your body was broken for, for me, for us individually. And as we take that cup, we're reminded that without the shedding of blood, there remains no forgiveness of sin. That's why you shed your blood. We have proof. The Lamb of God came to take away the sins of the world. And because you died, because you rose again, we have proof that our sins are forgiven, that we are right with God, that we are justified before God. And now today and every day from this day, God, we can go and come boldly before your throne of grace anytime the veil has been torn because of your body being torn, that we have access into the most holy place, never to be turned away. May we appreciate that afresh today as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, church, I invite you as you receive communion and sing. Let today just be so special for you personally. He came for you. He lived for you. He died for you. Amen. I am nothing with me, Lord.